0: Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Matthew chapter 13 verses 53 through 58. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Once upon a time, there was in the heart of a young woman a fireplace. And in that fireplace, a fire ignited by a young man. The flame in the young woman's heart consumed the young man's thoughts. And so, without even thinking about it, he excitedly fed the flames by throwing logs into the fireplace. The young man selected just the right logs that best set ablaze the young woman's flames. And so... The fire in the young woman's heart grew stronger and hotter with each log the young man placed on the flames. If anyone had asked him, Are you throwing logs on the fire? he would have been confused, puzzled, for he was not aware that he was feeding the flames in the young woman's fireplace. At the same time, there was in the heart of the young man another fireplace, and in that fireplace a similar fire. This one kindled by the young woman. All of the young woman's thoughts revolved around the flame she had started in the young man's heart. And so, without even thinking about it, she excitedly fed the flames by throwing logs onto the fire. And the young man delighted in the young woman's fueling because she chose only those logs that meant the most to the young man. But if anyone had said to her, you do such a fine job putting logs into that fireplace, she would have been confused, for she was unaware that she was feeding the flames in the, young woman's, in the young man's fireplace. So the fire in the young man's fireplace grew stronger and hotter with each log the young woman placed on the flames. In time, the young couple merged their flames into one fireplace Together, they continued to fan the flames in each other's hearts, and because each of them chose precisely the logs that best fuel the flames in the other, the fires in the fireplace roared bright and hot. As time went on, however, the enthusiasm with which these two people fueled the fire waned, and so did the fire. Putting logs on each other's fire ceased being something the couple did. Without having to think about it. Rather, it became something that had to be done intentionally if it was to be done at all. Therefore, the fires slowly faded. At times, days would pass in which the two of them even forgot about the fireplace. Sometimes, the young man, when he did think about the fireplace, would place only the logs that he most liked into the flames without consideration for the kind of logs the young woman liked. And likewise, the young woman periodically placed into the fireplace only the logs she most desired without any thought for the type of logs that he liked. In both cases, these logs were too moist to burn. At times, the young couple argued and fought. During these times, they totally stopped throwing logs onto the flames. Instead, they often flushed the flames with water, making it even harder for the flames to survive. One day... The two spouses accidentally met in front of the fireplace, almost bumping into each other. They stood in silence, looking into the fireplace at the pile of ashes that hid dying embers. And then they looked at each other and they wondered, what is to be done to our fireplace? We're in a series called The Parable of of the fireplace. It is a series designed to strengthen marriage relationships, love relationships. It is designed to help those of us who, at times, will be in trouble in our relationships to to find out what is going wrong and to correct it. A church is only as strong as the strongest home in it, and the home is only as strong as the uh, love relationship, the marriage that anchors it. And so God cares deeply about our homes. He cares deeply about your marriage. And so this whole series is about love relationships. Now, the title of this message is Your Worst Enemy and Your Best Friend. Now, as the title of the sermon suggests, by the time we get through this message, I'm going to share with you what is the worst enemy of a love relationship, but also I'm going to share with you what is the best friend of a love relationship. But before I share those with you, I want to recap two or three things that uh, I have done so in each of these messages. First of all, the fireplace represents the relationship that develops between two people who are in love. When you first fall in love with someone, you ignite a fire, so to speak, in the heart of that person. And that person ignites a love fire in your heart. And secondly, in order for the fires, those love fires, to remain strong, the two people in love must add logs to the flames. This comes naturally without even being conscious of it early in the relationship, but later on, we no longer uh, we, we no longer place logs on the fire without thinking about it. We have to be intentional about it, and yet many times, when that occurs, we stop putting logs on the fire. Now, there is something that I want you to know, and that is. Uh, the basis of this whole series and that is that no relationship has ever ended when the love fires are consistently tended when you you show me two people in love who constantly are throwing logs on the fire then i will show you a couple whose love is lasting it is steadfast it will continue as long as they continue to put logs on the flames now putting logs on the flames means a few different things. First of all, it means making a commitment to your marriage, to your love relationship, making it a priority above everything else except for your relationship with the Lord. Placing logs on the fire means you understand your spouse's main personality type and and you gear your expectations and your actions to fit that person's personality, because that's the way that they relate to you. Throwing logs on the fire means understanding your spouse's love language. There's a certain way that your spouse most naturally shares love and receives love, and uh, if you really want your spouse to feel your love, then you and I must understand our spouse's love language and speak that language. It also means knowing what your spouse's top emotional needs are and meeting them and understanding that, that for us guys, our, our wives' emotional needs are going to be different from ours and therefore we can't just meet for our spouses what our emotional needs are or we will miss her. And the same thing goes for the ladies toward the guys. You need to understand your spouse's emotional needs and meet them. And we need to communicate. We need to communicate. We need to turn the TV and the computer and the, and the iPad and the, and the phones off and turn the tablets off. And, and we need to turn the stereos off and we need to sit down and we need to look at each other. And we need to take time talking and listening with each other. And not just talking about things like, boy, boy it's hot outside, isn't it? Wonder when we're going to get any right. Not that. That's nothing. And I'm not talking about uh, sitting down and talking about uh, what's in the news. I'm talking about sitting down and talking about personal, intimate feelings between the two of you that you absolutely would not talk about with anyone else. Communicate with each other. That's what what I mean by throwing logs on the fire. Now, no relationship is ended when the love fires are consistently tended And then today in this final message, I want to introduce to you two things. One is your worst enemy, the the worst enemy of your love relationship, and second, your best friend. So let's, let's kick it off with the bad news first, okay? Here we go. The worst enemy in your love relationship is something called familiarity, familiarity. do you remember when you first fell in love? Anybody remember that? Three people, two, one. Chris remembers it. I remember it. If you you remember it, raise your hand. When you first fell in love, that sick to your stomach feeling, that butterfly feeling you had when you first fell in love with that person whom you are with, with now, you remember that? those butterfly feelings, and those butterfly feelings are what compelled you to want to be with that person as much as you possibly could. I met Amanda at New Harmony Baptist Church in the spring of 1980. My dad was a pastor of that church. I saw her and her family there. Uh, I uh, would come home on the weekends and uh, But in 1980, I went to school at the University of Georgia. Now, if you know anything about the University of Georgia, 1980 was a very, very special year. For one thing, uh, the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship in 1980. Herschel Walker was playing for the Bulldogs in 1980. Dominique Wilkins uh, from Atlanta was playing uh, basketball for the Georgia Bulldogs in 1980. I mean, it was a great time to be at Georgia. I was there during 1980. In fact, I spent three years at the University of Georgia uh, getting my uh, bachelor's degree. Uh, But I want you to know something. I, I never went to a football game. And I know that is absolute heresy for some folks here, that I would be at Georgia when Herschel Walker was there, and not go to a Georgia football game. It is really, it's heresy, except I never went to one, and I rarely went to a basketball game, even though Dominique Wilkins was there. In fact, the entire three years that I went to Georgia, every single weekend except for one, I came home. And I'll tell you why. I had something better than Herschel Walker at home. I came home to see a young lady that I had started dating. Her name was Amanda McPherson. And I came home every weekend for three years, except for one. The only weekend I didn't come home, it was because my boss at the at the Broad Street Kroger, his name was James Smith. I'll never forgive him for this. But he, he made me work every day that weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I couldn't go home to see Amanda. But outside of that one, I went home every weekend because... I had these butter, sick-to-my-stomach butterfly feelings that had her name all over them and prompted me to want to be with her. There's a problem, though, to wanting to be with someone you love all the time, and that is that the, the more you are with that person, the more that person becomes familiar with you. That would sound like a pretty good thing to happen, except for the more familiar they become with you, the more they see your wrinkles and your faults and your missteps you see those of you who have been married a long time and you remember the butterfly feelings some of you hesitated to raise your hand some of you had to think about it in a minute and then you raised your hand you know why because you don't have the butterfly feelings anymore I'm not saying you don't have love feelings. I'm simply saying you don't have the sick to your stomach butterfly feelings that you had. What happened to them? I'll tell you what happened to them. Familiarity drove them away. Familiarity chases away those butterfly feelings. And so familiarity then becomes the worst enemy of a love relationship. Familiarity leads to a loss of respect for one another, not a total loss of respect, but at least some loss of respect. In fact, that is a, a fact of human nature. The longer that you are around, the longer that you and I are around people, on the whole, in general, the longer that we're around people, the the more inclined we are to find reasons not to like that other person. I'm not saying it's a good thing and I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying that is a fact of Human nature. You see, familiarity tends to free us, to take away from us any uh, social etiquette, social protocols, and, and, and cause us to speak in ways that other people would consider harsh and, and negative and ungrateful. If you don't believe this, just find a married couple. I mean, even a couple that's happily married. Find a married couple. And at some point, if you spend enough time around them, one of those two people will smart off at the other person. They will. I don't care how, how much they've been in love. That at some point, you can become so familiar that you will, you will bite at your spouse. Why do you do that? You wouldn't do that to someone else uh, in, in fact, you, you you feel freer to to say some biting word to a spouse that you would not say to someone else you meet, even on Sunday at church or in the Walmart or the grocery store. You wouldn't. What is that about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about familiarity. But the worst thing about familiarity is it it will it will fade away. It dissolves over time. This feeling. This butterfly feeling of being in love with somebody. And let me just tell you something, just to make the bad news even worse. Some of you are thinking, well, uh, now that I know familiarity is what took that away, I need to get rid of the familiarity and get these butterfly feelings back. Guess what? It's too late. You're not going to get them back. Not the butterfly feelings. It's too late. So... Now that I've given you the bad of the bad and made all of you just droop over like you're trying to pray, let me then give you the good news, all right? The worst enemy of a love relationship is familiarity, but the best friend of a love relationship is, it's familiarity. What about that? Your worst enemy and your best friend are one and the same, familiarity familiarity is a necessary ingredient for a happy relationship. You said, Jimmy, I thought you just told me it was my worst enemy. It is, but it is a necessary ingredient. It creates over time a sense of security, a sense of satisfaction, a sense of safety, a sense of unwavering assurance in the relationship. And most marriage counselors will tell you that familiarity is, is ultimately what sustains love and intimacy in a relationship, now we know this to be true in many arenas of life. Take, for instance, if you're a mother and you have children, and let's say you get up in the morning, and and uh, because of maybe your job or something or or, or whatever you're having to do, uh, you you can't take uh, your child to school, and your husband's gone on his job too, and so uh, and and you don't like the bus, so you decide that you're going to. Uh, Uh, try to find a ride for your child. You will not let someone with whom you are not familiar take your child to school, will you? Hello? You won't. In fact, before you let your child into the back seat of someone else's vehicle, it's going to have to be someone that you have met and you know and you are familiar with. You see, familiarity results in feelings of safety. I'm familiar with this person, therefore I know this person, therefore I trust this person. So you see familiarity becomes something that is necessary. Uh, I I read about a study that was conducted by Dr. Scott Beach in 1992. Uh, He introduced four different they were, they were supposed to be students, but they were fake students, into a college course at a university. And uh, each of the fake students was, was chosen because they had similar appearance. They attended the course to varying degrees. In other words, of the four, one of them attended only a time or two. The other one, about three times. Another one, four times. There was another one that never missed of those four people. And at the end of the course... Dr. Beach asked the other, other students in the room, showed them pictures of these four people, and said, just based on these pictures, which of the four do you like the best? And the answer was, they liked best the student who had attended more classes than the other three. In other words, the one with whom they were most familiar. Now, they never talked with them. So they weren't very familiar with them. But because one of those four had attended every class and more classes than the other three, the rest of the students liked that person more and trusted that person more. Again, familiarity is what what resulted in that trust. We do it all the time with brand names. That's the reason I asked the kids when they came up here. I said, what's your favorite candy bar? Most of the kids, as you heard, like Hershey's chocolate bars. Hershey's chocolate bar. My favorite is Snickers. If I can't give a Snickers, then give me a Baby Ruth or a Payday or a Reese's Peanut Buttercup. But a Snickers, Baby Ruth, Reese's Peanut Buttercup or Payday, either one of those. Of course, Amanda has put me on a diet, so I can't have any of those. But let me tell you something. Uh, I, occasionally, I'll go to Walmart to pick up something and they have all this candy stuff there near the cash registers, right? And sometimes, uh, in fact, a lot of times, they will have new brands of candy. Look at me. I don't eat new brands of candy. I don't care if it's payday wrapped up in a different wrapper and called something else. I don't eat it. Why? I only eat the candies I'm familiar with. So if I'm going to eat candy, it's going to be sick. I'm the same way with a lot of name brand stuff, too. For instance, uh, you know that I love peanut butter. I love peanut butter. You know Amanda's demon, I mean Amanda's dog, Lucy? Lucy, you remember Lucy? That dog normally uh, is out to bite chunks of skin out of me. But, but she's begin to cha- beginning to change that a little bit because every day that I come home for lunch, I get some peanut butter out and I give that dog peanut butter. That dog loves peanut butter, but not just any peanut butter because I'm training her right. It's only Jif peanut butter. And it's not just any kind of Jif. It's got to be Jif, reduced fat peanut butter. I don't eat it because it's reduced fat. I eat it because it's the best peanut butter in the universe. That is some good peanut butter. But it's not on my diet either. But listen, what I'm saying to you is, I'm familiar with Jif. I like Jif. Familiarity is something that helps us to trust certain brands, to trust certain people, and to trust our spouses. So here is the message in a sentence that I want you to get. Familiarity with one spouse, yes, it contributes to the fading of feelings of being loved, but later in life, if you can persevere, if you can keep on keeping on, if you can hold on to that love relationship through the thick and through the thin, later in life, familiarity with one spouse increases the likelihood of commitment to that person. Your worst enemy and your best friend are one and the same. It's familiarity. I want you to know this is a new thing for me, uh, fairly new. Uh, I, I learned about this in, uh, three years ago. Three years ago, in the fall of 2013, Mr. Ken Russell, Mr. Ken and Miss Sarah, members of our church, Ms. Sarah was at the early service today. Uh, Mr. Ken Russell passed away on Veterans Day, November the 11th, 2013. He, uh, he and Miss Sarah had been married 56 years, had lived in, on, on every continent on the, on, on the planet except for one. And he was a 30-year veteran of the United States Air Force. At one point, he was one of the top five chiefs of the United States Air Force when he died. He's buried up in Arlington National Cemetery uh, just outside of Washington. He was born on December the 7th, which much later in his life would become Pearl Harbor Day. He died on November the 11th, which is Veterans Day. He was a 30-year veteran of the United States Air Force. He served, among other places, in Vietnam where he, he was exposed to Agent Orange. And in fact, even though he lived a long life, Agent Orange probably hastened his death. But he was a hero. And when he died in late November of 2013, we had his, uh, his funeral at our old church. And around that time, as I often do with people who've been married that long, I, I had a conversation with Miss Sarah. She and I are really close. And I asked her, I said, Miss Sarah, what was your secret? What would you say was the secret of y'all, you and Mr. Ken, having such a long, great relationship. And she paused and thought about it. And, and I want you to know, I figured she was going to say some things like, well, we never went to bed angry. She didn't say that. I'm so glad. I've had some people say that to me. They're liars. They're absolute liars. It's not true. Uh, I... I, I, I and don't come up to me before you leave today and say, well, it's true for us, preacher. We've never gone to bed. Listen, if you've, if you've gone to bed, uh, if you've never gone to bed angry, you just are not communicating. Whenever my dad pastored Hall Creek Baptist Church back in 1970, there was a couple there, an older couple who'd been married 60 years, and we went to uh, dinner with them, lunch, uh, Back then it was breakfast, dinner, and supper. and Now it's, well, you get it. We we went to eat lunch with them after after church and, and, and the guy was sitting across from me at the table and they started talking about their marriage and he said to us, he says, you know, we have never gone to bed angry. Now I'm 10 years old. Then he says, we've never had an argument. And then he said, and we've never had a disagreement in 60 years. Now, I'm 10 years old, and I'm looking at that man, and I'm knowing he's lying at me over fried chicken. I know he is. There's no way. I just didn't believe it. But then again, I got to thinking about it, and I thought, well, it probably is possible because his wife had this strong Authoritative voice, and and as I kept listening to him across the fried chicken, he had this he had this little. Well, you know we we never had a single argument. We've never disagreed. We've never gone to bed angry with each other. And I thought, well, no wonder you don't have any backbone. That's why you don't ever have any disagreement. So I asked Miss Sarah, I said, what's the secret of your long relationship? And she thought about it and she looked at me and she said something that I'd never heard before and that I, I think is one of the most profound things I'd ever heard in my life. Here's what she said. She said, I think it's familiarity. I said, what? She said, familiarity. She said, now don't get me wrong. She said, there are times in a 56-year marriage that you want to kill one another. She said, there are times when you want to embrace each other and never let go. But he said, she said, as we have grown older, we're so familiar with each other that we feel safe with each other. And we feel secure with each other. And we have learned to trust each other. Now, I want you to know something. Uh, Mr. Ken's favorite Bible passage was 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's a, it's called the love chapter. A lot of people at their weddings, they have it read. Paul didn't write it for weddings, but, but we, we we read it anyway, especially verses 4 through uh, 8. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. It never fails. Now, as I read this at wedding ceremonies, I'm thinking as I'm reading this, this is not true. Love does keep a record of wrong suffered. I know it does. We've got a grading chart. I know we do. Love is kind most of the time, but not all the time. Love is patient sometimes, but not all the time. This just doesn't jive with this couple, even though I know that they think that everything's just wonderful and rosy and they don't have any flaws. But then I got to thinking about it after what Miss Sarah said to me, and I realized... That for couples who have, have persevered through thick and thin and they've stayed together and they've worked out their problems and they, they have, they have uh, uh, become so familiar with each other that familiarity has gone from being an enemy to their best friend. For those people, love indeed is patient. It is most of the time kind. It is something that is not dishonoring or just self-seeking. And it is not something that, that keeps a good uh, record of wrongs. Familiarity becomes your best friend. Amanda and I just celebrated 32 years. And I'm just now realizing what Miss Sarah was talking about. Now, we got a long ways to go to 56 or 60 years, but I'm just now realizing the importance of familiarity being the best friend in my love relationship. Hang on. Hang on until you see it. Hang on until you see it. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. When Jesus came to his hometown, the people didn't accept him, and it was because they were too familiar or thought that they were too familiar with him. But the disciples toward the end of Jesus' ministry realized that Jesus' familiarity with them was not a disadvantage, but it helped him help them. God, I pray that you would help us to see that whereas early in a relationship familiarity can be deadly, if we hang on, it becomes one of the greatest assets we will ever have. Bless our homes, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.